So, John chapter 2, John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. But on the third day, there was this wedding, and, uh, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So, uh, indulge me a little bit. And let's look at Mary as a picture of the church. Okay, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 26 says that uh, the Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. And so the heavenly Jerusalem is actually a picture of the ascended church. The church that has come into the fullness of who God created her to be. So, and yes, the, the church has actually birthed all of us into the kingdom. You know, there's intercessors. There, there's those who, who labored and travailed for us to be. I had an aunt who was in labor and travail for me to be born into the kingdom. You know, so, so the church is, is actually a very good picture of a mother. And uh, so in this picture, Mary, knowing who she is and that she doesn't need to prove who she is, don't you, don't you, don't you hate it when people think they have to go around and prove who they are? Right? Instead of just living out of a, their authentic identity. Uh, she knew that she didn't need to prove who she was, but just walk in her identity. She approaches Jesus, and she just announces the need. They're out of wine, Jesus. And her, his protest is related to timing. I really want to challenge, because there's people in this place today that you've been looking for a miracle. And I, I, I pray, God, that you will tap into some some things that will help you, that will give you tools on the way to your miracle. Okay? So, so Jesus basically says, well, it's not time for that miracle yet, right? And maybe that's what some of you have heard. Well, it's a timing thing. I just need to wait until it's God's time. And uh, she, she doesn't beg. She doesn't order him around. She doesn't do either one of those things, Right? As a mom, you had the thought, yeah, she could have lowered the boom on him a little bit and said, look, you're my son. She didn't do that. She didn't get down on her knees and beg. What she did instead was she set the stage for a miracle. There's something about you setting the stage for a miracle that displays faith. It takes faith from something that you believe, or for some people, what they feel, even though faith is not that, it takes it and it puts it into a place of action. And I've been telling you this, but every one of those that's listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, it's, it, it speaks of the action that they took that impressed God. It wasn't what they only what they passively believed or what they felt. It was the action that they took and because of the faith that they carried that impressed the heart of God. So she sets the stage for a miracle. Verse 5 says, His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. 
What a setup job, right? So I want to talk to you about uh, different levels of faith for miracles. Why am I talking about miracles? Well, that was a pun, by the way. I'd, I'd, uh, we've had numerous prophetic words over the years about a deep well that we're digging here. And, and this, this week, again, we were out on the East Coast at a father's gathering with Dale Mast. And uh, here comes this guy who didn't know anything about us. And he talk, starts talking about a calling to South America. Didn't, didn't, didn't know, you know. And then he starts talking about how we've been, we have uncapped a number of wells here but none of them are deep enough, and we're going deeper. And we're getting ready to break through the well that we're, that we're digging. And then he says, name your well. That's actually a biblical concept. They got to name the well that they dug. I'm like, okay, name the well. What well are we digging? And, and I really felt from the Lord, you're digging a well of miracles. So, so let me talk about different levels of faith that people have in their belief, uh, their faith for miracles. First of all, the first level is God can do a miracle if he wants to, when he wants to. Most people are probably there. I know God can heal me. Most of them who say that don't believe that he will. Right? Well, the Lord knows where I live. Anytime he wants to heal me, he can come. Right? Uh, I think James would have something to say about that faith. He would say, let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Right? Then the next level of faith is believing that God wants to do a miracle. Not only can he, he wants to. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's other levels of faith that we have to come into. One of these times I want to have a conversation with you about being double-minded. Because James talks about that and what happens to people who are double-minded. Ask the Lord for something and then they walk away doubting if God's going to do it. And the first thing you know, they're being talked out of it. And then they don't believe God's going to do it. And then they come back to the Lord and say, Lord, and, and, they, and so they get into this place of double-mindedness where you can't receive anything from the Lord. We're to ask in faith, believing, and then thank him for what we've asked for. Because God answers the prayers of his, of his children, of his sons and his daughters. It's in our covenant. And we don't have to beg God. We don't have to, don't have to like some wives do, think you have to remind them every 10 years of what they're... I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm talking about the honeydew list. I already said I'd do it, and you don't have to remind me every 10 years. <laughs> Praise the Lord, he's not like that, right? 
And then the next level is God wants to do a miracle for me. Not only does he want to do miracles, he wants to do them for me. His blood purchased me. I belong to him. I am his son. I am his daughter. And he wants to do a miracle for me. Because that's who he is. He's a miracle worker. He always has been a miracle working God. And maybe the next level is, God wants to do a miracle for me, and I'm going to prepare for one. I'm going to get ready for a miracle. I'm going to rearrange some things to accommodate my miracle because I believe it's coming. I'm going to make some preparations. Now, what I'm not saying is that you should go take out an ad and announce to the world that you're getting a miracle. Or that you're supposed to get all the doubting and unbelieving people in your life to believe that God wants to do a miracle. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a good way to get talked out of your miracle. But just in simple preparation that God lays on your heart to prepare for your miracle. Verse 6 says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now this was a serious wedding. Six water pots, 20, let's say they just held 20 gallons each. That's 120 gallons of juice. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now the next step for your miracle is listen for his instruction. And do what he says. You're not going to live in many miracles if you don't learn to hear and obey the voice of the Lord. You have to do that. Now, if you're unsaved, you know, God will do miracles to reach you. But I'm talking about as a child of God, you need to learn to hear and obey the voice of the Lord because there's a process. Every one of those people that Jesus healed, there's an untold story of how they got to Jesus. There was a preparation that was going on in their life leading them to that encounter with the Lord where they received their miracle. Sometimes you get a glimpse of it, sometimes you don't. But for every one of them, there's a story leading up to their miracle. And for every one of you, there's a story. And looking back at the, all, all the miracles God's done in my life, I'll tell you what, there is a story leading up to every one of those miracles. Amen? And, and, and that's actually a pretty exciting part of the testimony, is the story leading up to the miracle. You know, from the time that God, you know, I was a burnout when I came to the Lord. From the time God renewed my mind and gave me a new mind and, and restored my short-term memory so that I wouldn't go somewhere and forget where I was, that used to happen to me all the time. Or, or be talking to you and forget what I was saying in the middle of a sentence. That kind of stuff used to, before Jesus did a miracle and healed my mind, that stuff happened to me all the time. But there was a story leading up to that miracle that, that had to do with my obedience. And so there's steps that actually in the process of obeying are actually teaching and training us to hear and, and, and listen to his voice. 
And you don't need everyone to be in agreement for you to hear and obey the voice of God. Because so many times people talk you out of your miracle when you do that. I mean, if it's something stupid like running out in front of a semi, check with somebody and make sure it's the Lord before you do that. I mean, I'm not, you know. And, and, and I know it's funny, but there's actually been people who have done, done things like that that took their life and they thought they were hearing the Lord and they were hearing the wrong voice. Okay, so, so it's a good idea to, to confirm that with someone that you trust, but don't go around trying to get everyone in agreement with what you're hearing because they'll actually sometimes talk you out of what God is speaking to you. Amen? So in this case, there was no sizzle, bang, or pop. There was just simple obedience, which is how we exercise faith. Some of the most profound miracles that I've ever encountered, uh, had nothing, there was no drama, there was no drum roll, there was none of that. It was just simple steps of obedience. You know, when, I went, when, when, when the Lord spoke to me and said, if you have Norval Hayes pray for you, I'll give you a new heart. And, uh, and I'm like, well, how am I going to do that? I got excited. I knew I heard the Lord. And so I was excited, but I didn't know how in the world I was going to get in front of Norval Hayes. This was back before you could look people's schedules up on the Internet. And so I said, Lord, if you want that to happen, you're going to have to set it up. A couple of months later, my friend Peter calls and says, hey, guess who's going to be in Richmond? And it was an evangelist. And you want to go? And I said, sure. So we went down there. And we're in the middle of the service, and he elbows me and says, look who just walked in. Well, Norval Hayes, it wasn't a Norval Hayes meeting, but he showed up. He showed up and sat three rows in front of us. And I knew it was the Lord. And so at the end, it's the only time in my life I ever saw him. And so at the end of the service, I just went up to him and said, Brother Norval, the Lord said, if you'd pray for me, he'd give me a new heart. He said, well, all right then. Put his hand on my head, simple prayer. I was off on my way. Next time I checked my pulse, it was down in the 70s, and it's been there ever since. Because I destroyed my heart through drug abuse. I lived on speed and uppers and all that for so many years, I destroyed my heart. And there was already a history of heart disease in my family. And so I knew that if God didn't heal my heart, there's no way that I could live in, I could do whatever, all that he had called me to do. And so... There was no sizzle, bang, or pop to that. It was just simple obedience, a simple prayer. I rejoiced, knowing I had obeyed God. Sure enough, the next time I checked my pulse, it's right down there where it belongs. And it's been there ever since. And so it's, there's always uh, a process leading up to our miracle. And in Mary's case, she just quietly prepared for it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. So verse 9, when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. There's so much in that but I'm going to try to stick to the story. So, so in this case, there was a reversal of the established order. 
When Jesus breaks into your life and does a miracle, a lot of times he'll shift things and he'll, he'll bring a new, process, a new aspect, a new process, a new order to, to work in your life that wasn't there before. And you need to be willing to accommodate that. Because there, there's an old wineskin that can't contain the new wine of the kingdom. Well, it can for a little bit, and then it breaks, and you lose it all, and you ruin the wineskin in the process. And so we have to allow the Lord to reconfigure us. In fact, Jesus called it, uh, we have to be converted. We have to be reconfigured to contain the new wine, because it doesn't make sense to the old mind, to the old way of thinking, to the old order of things. It doesn't work. And Jesus said, no one having tasted uh, the old wine straight away desires the new because he says the old is better. Well, you know why you would say the old is better? Because the old gets you drunk. And it doesn't get you drunk on Jesus, it gets you drunk on yourself. You know, when you've, when you've lived your life uh, living up to the rules and thinking that you're doing a pretty good job of being righteous by keeping the laws and keeping the rules and living more righteously than those other people, you know, you kind of get drunk on yourself, don't you? That's what the law does to you. It gets you drunk on yourself. The new wine doesn't do that. It gets you high on Jesus. It shifts something in you to bring you a different paradigm, a different perspective, a different way of looking at things. And that's what God does in your life when he begins to come and do miracles in your life. We always used to do it this way, and now the old order has been reversed, right? There's a new order being established. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, being a little bit facetious because we have old orders and new orders around us, you know. We used to try to impress our guests with the best when they come in the door, right? First impressions and all that. Now they find the real treasure after they hang around a while. They find, oh my goodness, we thought the wine was good starting out. You guys have got some real good stuff you've been serving after we hung out a while. That's what was happening at the wedding. I'm not encouraging anyone to go out and get drunk on wine when I say that. In fact, I would encourage you not to. Scripture says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All I'm saying is that there was a contrast between the old order and the new that Jesus established. And after you start connecting and finding family, the servants begin to bring out the miraculous wine. You know, uh, when you first show up here, it can be a little overwhelming sometimes. Kids run around like they're free to do whatever they want, right? And uh, people who are used to an atmosphere that's very controlled, it can be a little... Can be a little uh, overwhelming right how many of you know what I'm talking about it takes it takes <laughs> it takes a little while to get used to the freedom that kids express when they're in an atmosphere where they're not tightly controlled in everything they do it means, means we have to shepherd them we have to be moms and dads and kind of herd them around and and keep them within healthy boundaries but uh, you know uh, Danny he's I think in Florida for the winter he's He's the son of the original bishop of Fairlawn Church that met here, that built the place. And he, when he started coming here, he would just sit and weep. 
He said, I've never seen anything like this. He said, you know what really touches my heart the most? And I said, what? He said, the children. How free the children are to play and enjoy the presence of the Lord. That touched his heart deeper than anything else. You know, there's supposed to be freedom when Jesus is around. Jesus told the disciples, let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom. You know, control actually kills creative life. Did you know that? A lot of... All right. Back to my own upbringing. I'm trying to kind of walk on eggshells so I don't just offend people just uh, gratuitously. I, I don't want to offend people. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I grew up in a culture where everything was tightly controlled. And the control was actually empowered by a spirit of witchcraft. That's, that's actually what witchcraft does, is it, it empowers people to control. And it kills creative life. It kills the spontaneity that's required in order for the Holy Spirit to have his way. And, and, uh, and, and so uh, when Jesus begins to do his miracles, people begin to encounter his glory. You know, it, we're, living in the, we're, we're meeting in the middle of a community where people need to have an encounter with the glory of God. Where, where alliances, generational alliances with witchcraft and dark powers needs to be broken. Okay, now, now this is my tribe, so I can speak to my tribe and about my tribe in a way that some of you probably might not be able to get away with. But, but that's because I see the treasure in my tribe. I love my tribe. I'm, I'm proud of my tribe. I'm proud of the Amish people. I'm proud of the courage that they displayed these past two years when most of America was cowering in the shadows. I'm just saying. Um... I see so much treasure in my tribe. But I also realize that, that there's been a dabbling in dark powers that's been a very kind of a part of our culture. You know, uh, divination is a pretty accepted practice, different aspects of divination, uh, water witching, pendulums, you know, things like that. That was all part of my world growing up. My dad didn't like it, but my mom's family was very much involved in all of that. My grandpa was a healer, and, and so uh, he would do different things to powwow and, and release healing. Uh, that wasn't done in the name of Jesus. That wasn't according to Scripture. And, uh, and so all of that stuff was a part of my world growing up. And I've had to come out of agreement and out of, out of alignment with that stuff in order for me to get free. Because that stuff tried to kill me. When, when you operate in dark powers, there's always a payoff. The devil always comes to collect his due. And if he doesn't hit you with it, he'll hit your kids with it. And so, um, yeah. What I'm trying to say is, in this culture, though, they don't have a theology against the supernatural. And that's a good thing. Because they're open to the miraculous. They're used to experiencing it on the other side. But you don't have to talk them into believing in miracles. They already, the, the culture actually allows for that. 
And so as God begins to open up a well of miracles here, I tell you what, it's going to reverberate throughout the community. That, that miracle that happened with Barb, you know, when she got out of her wheelchair here a couple weeks ago? <coughs> I need to keep praying for her, by the way. You know how the enemy is. She had three, three different conditions. I don't know what the medical uh, prognosis is to, to this day or, or diagnosis on the conditions. I don't know if she's been back and had them checked out or not. But she had Parkinson's, she had leukemia, and she had lymphoma. And she'd been in that chair for over two years. And she got out of that chair and ran around the room and we rejoiced and praised God and we're rejoicing and praising God to this day. Uh, but that is reverberating through that Amish community, that miracle. So God can do some miracles and, and you can sometimes sit on the sidelines and poo-poo the idea of miracles being a big thing until you need one or until a loved one needs one. And then all of a sudden, that shifts your perspective a little bit. When you see someone that had a call and a, and a destiny in their life that they're not able to fulfill because the enemy's got them imprisoned in a chair or something, then it becomes, takes on a little different perspective and it becomes personal. Okay? And, and that's where Jesus walked. Is it was, every one of those was personal to him. Because he had compassion for the hurting hearts of the people that needed a miracle. And that's why he did them everywhere that he went. Except in a couple of places where there was so much unbelief and hostility that it says he couldn't do many mighty miracles there. I hope this place is always getting fuller and fuller and fuller of faith for people who come here to encounter and receive the miracles that God has for them. We used to go to a, visit a place when we lived in Virginia uh, once in a while. I don't know if it's still there or not. It was, the church was called Miracle Valley. And they would have speakers come in sometimes. Just a, a small church, probably, I don't know if it was half this size maybe. And, uh, but some of those old-time Pentecostal preachers brought the power, let me tell you. I, I remember one night we literally watched a... Uh, a thread of gold appear in midair and go in and fill somebody's tooth. When, when the glory of God shows up, stuff happens that you cannot explain. Do it again, Lord. Verse 11 says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. When Jesus does his miracles, people begin to encounter the glory. That's what I'm really after. The miracles are part of that journey to get there. What I'm really after is the glory. I want people to encounter the glory with such intensity when they come into this place that they will fall down and worship God without anybody even saying anything to them. But there's a battle for us to get there to where that is the reality in this place. Amen? Because what it does, you know, until then, you're, you're, you're kind of winning people with your argument. You, you got to go through their head kind of to reach their heart. 
But when, God, when people start getting touched with the glory, their heart gets touched first. And then it reaches their head. I love that. I want to see people's hearts get touched and impacted and profoundly moved because of an encounter with the glory of God that transforms them, that melts a hard heart and turns it soft, that takes an, a heart that is unbelieving and all of a sudden opens it up to drink of the waters of life. Please note that Mary moved Jesus' timeline with her faith. Jesus said it's not time yet. Mary moved the timeline with her faith. If you're saying, well, somewhere out there is my moment and my time. Start making preparation, simple, whatever Jesus puts on your heart, simple preparations for your miracle and see what God will do. And then listen to his voice along the way. December, I believe, is a month for digging deeper. Whatever you've been going after, December is a month to dig deeper. December is a month to dig into what you need to carry in the next year. Let's get our shovels out and let's dig. Let's dig for more of what God has for Let's have hearts of obedience saying, yes, Lord, whatever it requires of me, whatever changes I need to make, whatever you need to adjust in my life, in my heart, in my perspective, so that I can align myself with what you have called me to carry in the next season, I give you permission to touch those areas of my life, and I will obey what you tell me. Amen? well of miracles. It's interesting because the, uh, the New Testament Greek word for miracles is the same word as the word for a miracle working power. It's dunamis. So dunamis, one word describes the supernatural power of God and also describes the miracles that God does within that power. And, and it describes a place of wonder where we live in wonder and are awestruck at the incredible glory of God and what happens in that glory. As the God of miracles breaks through the doubt, the unbelief, and religious hardness in the area, God will begin to restore a sense of wonder to our people. I really want people to be impressed with Jesus. And who he is and what he does. I really want to see an army carrying that message out to the nations. Starting with our own community. Amen? If we can, if we can host a process leading up to an event in this area. Where God can raise up teams of people to go out and heal the sick and there's no lepers to cleanse I don't think in our community but raise the dead and 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 cast out devils and bring people to Christ I, I believe there's something sustainable God wants to launch here and and on my part 
I've already committed myself to doing some of the legwork and some of the background work for that. And I'm beginning to meet with leaders and challenging them to let's come together and let's come into agreement. Let's lay down our competition. Let's lay down all of that and let's come together in agreement and say, Lord, we want to shepherd what you're getting ready to do in our community. And we're going to work together to do it. We're going to link arms. We're not going to compete against each other. We're not going to do any of that stuff anymore. Amen? And if we can come together in one mind and in one accord, you know what the scripture says? Nothing will be denied that they want to do. This is something the Holy Spirit wants to get in the middle of. Amen?